0: Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week we're talking to Lynn Simpson. Lynn's got a crucial role heading up the North Cumbria Integrated Care NHS Foundation Trust. It's obviously a part of the country that many of us may know, perhaps because we've been on holiday there, but actually it's a really challenging part of the country in relation to healthcare. Lynn, it's fantastic having you part of the podcast. It's fantastic that North Cumbria is part of our our levelling up work. Absolutely brilliant to have you involved. Tell us a little bit about the community that your NHS trust, and particularly given it's an integrated care NHS Foundation Trust, tell us a little bit about the community
1: that you you serve. So North Cumbria, as you suggested, is um, a beautiful part of the world and we should be really proud of where we're sited here. Its uh, boundaries are large and it covers swathes of the, the Lake District National Park, which for many people um, brings you know, a lot of tourism into the area. There's a lot of hot spots attracting, I think it's upwards it in uh, 15 million visitors every year. So we have places like Keswick, Derwent Water, all on our patch. How fantastic for the people who live, live here. As well as that, there, we also uh, boast a stunning coastline stretching from Solway Firth down to St Bee's Head. And if you haven't had an opportunity to go down that coastline, I would recommend it to anyone. So, that's a little bit about the, um, the environment within which we sit. Mm-hmm. Our main centres of population are Carlisle, Penrith, Whitehaven, and Workington. And the latter two, so Workington and Whitehaven, have grown from a proud industrial uh, past based on coal, iron and steel. As you well know, these industries have long since disappeared, unfortunately leaving for us a legacy of deprivation, which in many ways is in stark contrast to the many more affluent parts of the Lake District itself. So it's
0: it sounds like it's fair to say, Lynne, it's it's one of those parts of the country where you've got those real gaps and those real extremes in a sense we have. of people with the most, but also huge numbers of people who are in economic deprivation. And presumably that translates across to health outcomes often as It well. does,
1: it does. And, and, and it's quite interesting because um, if we look at our communities, we've got remote and isolated in the rural part of the patch, So 56% of our population live in those rural communities Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the national average is, as people are aware, is only about 15%. As a result of that, I think the Cumbrians are a pretty tough and resilient bunch (laughs) of people. Um, Mm -hmm. But poverty and isolation do not make for good population health. And I'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit later, but we do see a lot of health inequality and stark differences in life expectancies across our patch because we've got the affluent and those who are in the more deprived wards and communities across our patch. But maybe before we get into some of that, Justine, just if I can tell you a little bit about the uh, the organisation itself. So you referred to it being an integrated care organisation. Well, I'm really proud of that. So it is integrated. It's integrated in itself. So we have community services as well as acute services. We have community hospitals um, uh, running alongside our acute hospitals. So we've got step up and step down facilities. Mm-hmm. And we work very closely with our partners in the patch, so the wider community to join up health and care for patients. And just to give you a bit of a flavour of that, um, we have integrated care communities, ICCs, wrapped around our community hospital sites where we join up that health and care um, setting for patients. So we've got um, social workers, we've got Mm -hmm. uh, community mental health workers, we've got GPs, we've got hospital staff, be they therapists or nurses, working alongside each other to deliver the best possible care for patients. So it's not just about the intervention and the caring piece, but it's also about improving their well-being. And I think they are, you know, really positive developments that we want to enhance as we move forward, but something that you don't see in operation across the rest of the country.
0: And for for NHS staff working in that kind of environment, presumably it's, more straightforward to connect up with those other parts of the local healthcare system that they need to which perhaps before would have been harder but you're physically putting it together in a way that means that's easier to happen
1: yeah and and, you know some of the simple things like if you're you're sharing an office as a healthcare worker along with a social worker um, you can have those conversations that might just not happen if you've got to go out of your way to make that connection, to make an appointment, et cetera. So you might bounce ideas off each other. You might talk about a specific patient's pathway and their needs. You might plan together that discharge process. And I think the the benefits are not always tangible, for example, in a financial um, sense, but they are there in terms of the benefits to the patients. And you know, if we can join up even more, I think that you know the patient and the family themselves will have access to a lot of services, but often through one portal, which, yeah. which does help them.
0: So that makes life far more straightforward. And I guess the other challenge is the the rurality, as you said, of that mm. region and not just um not just any old rurality, I mean a rugged yeah. rurality um, that isn't always for pe- easy for people to get around. For them, often I suppose the digital connections for healthcare matter. Um, how do you adapt that model to make sure that people who are more remote, you know, living more remotely can get to it? And, and what's the piece of it that, that needs to be in place for,
1: for them? Sure, so so it's quite interesting. Um, if we look at the population, um, in this part of the world, we are aging faster at the moment. We have again just a a couple of stats 24% of local people are aged over 65, compared to the national average of 18%. And by 2039, that will be 32%. So that is really relevant in terms of how we connect with people, how we use the digital digital agenda to start and deliver healthcare, to have access and communicate. So we've got challenges around um, the remoteness of people from the service delivery centers, but also we've got challenges in terms of understanding how people use technology and can use that well to receive the healthcare. And if you've got a larger elderly population, Many of them are very competent with using technology, but there are a proportion that um, find that quite difficult. And if we've got a higher proportion in that age group, it's just an extra challenge for us. But we have done things and we've done things well. Um, you know, I think the, um, the pandemic, pandemic has made us think about how we, how we communicate with patients more so, you know, the use of iPads, the use of mm-hmm. technology um, to help patients connect and families connect. Our end of life has been very, very uh, productive and has been seen to be helpful to the families. The way that we organize results reporting and the, the very fast use of technology to ensure that you can connect in with the center and get something out to a GP mm-hmm. quickly mm-hmm. has been uh, really helpful. But have we capitalized on that as yet? I'm not sure we have. I think in North Cumbria, we're starting our digital transformation journey. We mm-hmm. recognize it's it's absolutely key to how we want to transform transform services and move services forward with the buy-in of uh, patients, families, users, carers, et cetera. But it's it's probably just the start of that journey rather than being more advanced and quite a way through the ambitions there, but we've just got to corral around that with our partners to make sure that our systems are joined up and that um, we've got that strategy that's clearly gonna demonstrate those tangible benefits to more
0: And I think COVID has really fast-tracked, in a sense, this embracing of digital for lots of us, actually. I mean, all of us really, in a way. And I suppose the key to success is going to be how you can combine that with your approach, where you are putting these ICCs, the integrated care communities, right slap-bang in those communities that we know are the ones that can benefit the most from having that on their doorstep. So it's that combination of the two isn't it that probably is going to open up the chance for better health outcomes across North
1: Cumbria yeah I, I think that's absolutely right and the the, the the piece that we've got to keep in our minds is that all of the lessons that we've learnt through the um, pandemic we need to ensure that we don't lose sight of those so for example where We've done outpatients with remote Mm -hmm. technology. Um, We need to be careful we don't slip back into the old style of working where we insist on bringing patients up to the centres to have their outpatient appointments. We need to make sure that we we transform as part of that. And do we need to have as many follow-up outpatients if we we continue Mm -hmm. on those themes? Because patients... And families are often able to care for themselves by a check-in point with a professional and can mm-hmm. take responsibility for their own health. And I think you know, we should be encouraging that in terms of the better outcomes. Those who can do and are capable of doing that, uh, diabetes, um, can be self-managed in many ways, asthma mm-hmm. management, we can do that and get good outcomes. And then we can focus on that that group of services and patients who need more intensive input from the services that we can offer as a collective across the system uh, to improve the the outcomes for those groups of patients.
0: And I guess what's interesting about COVID is the whole concept in a sense behind integrated care is, of course, integration and partnership. Um, But the pandemic has probably done as much as anything we've seen to force partnerships, productive partnerships to have to form and and, and actually to go beyond the NHS into that wider community, whether it's local government, whether it's employers. It's really been a time when people have just cut through the the red tape in a way, and, and if you like, the formal structures to think, well, we've got to run towards tackling this pandemic And so actually we just have to work out how to work together. And and actually that's, I guess, part of, you know, what the integrated care is gonna do, that that whole model is about partnership, isn't it?
1: It is. And, um, you know, if if we can thank the pandemic for anything, I think it's accelerated the development of breaking down some of those barriers across the different sectors. Um, Mm -hmm. We all have something to contribute and we all add value, but the added value of working together um, for the, the, the you know the, the general population of North Cumbria is, is is easy to be seen. We perhaps didn't uh, capitalise as much as we could have done um, mm-hmm. on some of those relationships. So you know, I'd like to think that uh, we can we can work more closely with some of our third sector Mm organisations, some of our educational providers, et cetera. Um, I think needs must during the pandemic um, enabled us to work much more closely with our local authority and our GP primary care colleagues. But there's a raft of people who contribute to the, the health and social care delivery that are willing and want to work together. We just need to create the space the environment yeah. and and if you like the the policy and practice to to make that happen and and I quite like the idea not just the ICcs but the the integrated care hubs um, you know almost naturally bring that linking together yeah yeah exactly
0: it's it's a really interesting time and of course I think the other thing it's it's very much done is brought what the NHS does and those I mean millions of people who work in your organization really to the fore in terms of employment and of course the NHS needs to be representative of the communities that it's taking care of um for you as the trust goes through its own change um over time um obviously you're quite new into the role of chief executive tell us a little bit about how that people side of the, the organization matters and those employment opportunity opportunities, it has literally this role of the NHS itself and its employers' employment opportunities to sort of provide leveling up for people, perhaps who wouldn't necessarily thought of a career, but can have a brilliant one in your organization that does
1: something truly important for a wider community as well. So, so for me, that's a really important piece of the role of the chief executive. We need to uh, ensure that our current staff feel that this is a good place to work and can promote, can promote that at every opportunity they have. We need to make sure that we, we encourage new and different roles within the services that we offer, and there's huge opportunity for that. You know, Our workforce generally is, is quite stretched, and we need to think about how we best use highly qualified doctors, nurses, allied health Mm -hmm. professions and how we bring support workers in but can train them up so they're getting in it um, quite a lot of personal satisfaction and are contributing to the the care delivery. So I think there's a lot of work that we can do to create a much more diverse and different workforce within the organisation. And if we look at the organisation itself and when we look at it, you know, from the provision of community services through to services in um, community hospitals and then the acute sector, there's lots of variation that we can offer. But in totality, you know, we're one of the largest providers Mm -hmm. of um, employment across uh, North Cumbria, which is really important. So people look to us. To um, provide employment not just for one generation of family, but for several generations of family. And I think that's that's a real positive for us. We could really again, you know, use that opportunity to start and pull through people um, mm-hmm. who perhaps haven't had those opportunities in the past and are and do you think, to see where they might fit. Do you feel
0: that the community hubs, you know, and that whole Approach in its own way can start to make people in some of those communities think not only can they perhaps access healthcare more easily, but also these are roles that they themselves potentially could think about going for at some point. Or it's it's starting to 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 trigger a thought process for some of them, perhaps for their children. That you you know you're a presence there, aren't you? To to sort of demonstrate opportunities on the ground a, a bit more than being a, a
1: remote NHS, perhaps. I think so. And, and as you were saying that, I was beginning to think a bit more laterally and think, well, within those hubs, we have lots of different service providers. We've got the third sector. Yeah, people might want to move into um, more voluntary uh, mm-hmm. types of roles as they come towards the end of the career, or we might encourage people, you know, young people who are completing their 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 A-levels or any qualification of those who who perhaps have left school without any formal qualifications coming through and thinking about supporting in in local authority work through social work for example or support workers for physio OTs there's there's a whole raft of things that could be offered there and I think it's extending that and, and making the general population aware of of what is available. And it's quite interesting, Steve, because one of the things that we have done as a wider uh, place-based area, so working with, our again, our local authority, third sector, et cetera, where we've done recruitment fairs to bring people into the trust. Uh, We've used that opportunity on a shared basis to try and recruit people into general practice or mm-hmm. into um, other areas of the service now we, we we did that we went over to um to dublin and a craft fair, craft fair in a um, a recruitment fair and we we're looking specifically for midwives but we took the opportunity to promote the vacancies that we had in in primary care mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think there's a lot more that we can do if we think naturally think positively and yeah. think in a joined up way
0: and i think one of the one what interests me is that the chance to to really almost start creating some of those pathways for people who may not be quite ready to jump back into work for whatever reason or may not have yes. thought about a career but actually a step towards volunteering for a small yes. period of time possibly to help out a service that's been something they understand because they've used, and so they are a really credible person to be a volunteer on it. That can maybe be the beginning of not only somebody's going to be hugely effective to help, but also someone who can think, actually, I I really care about this because it's certainly how I got my life on track. Maybe, maybe this is an area where I could put my time into now in paid employment, and and yes. that then just becomes a stepping stone, doesn't it? That maybe if it's on
1: their doorstep, is something they can consider seriously for the first time. Yeah, and I think that that's again where we could do a little bit more going into some of the um, the schools, mm-hmm. the universities, and just just testing out a little bit. You know, what would be the things that would interest you? These are some of the things that we can offer, like apprenticeships, volunteering, etc. But rather than you know us surmising that those would be areas of interest and possible areas of entry for people. Um, try to glean that from them in terms of um, try. Then put the two things together so that we have, you know, a bigger picture of of where we can create opportunities, do things mm-hmm. differently, and encourage people to come in. But there, there are so many things that are available that it you know, almost signposting yes. your way through that is it, it, is incredibly important, and we shouldn't take for granted that young people or, or any individual just knows their route through that.
0: And I think the other thing for me, particularly with the NHS, is there are so many careers that you can have. And I think there's always a danger, actually, for a young person that they think, well, I don't want to be in healthcare because I don't mm-hmm. want to be a doctor or a nurse or whatever. They don't necessarily think that they could play a really crucial role being a finance person or mm-hmm. doing communication with the wider public on public health issues there's such a logistics all of that there's such a range isn't there of of careers that the organization has that it's really a place where a lot of people could have a very fulfilling work life ahead of them if if they look
1: i I, I absolutely agree with that and you know i was thinking and i was talking to um addressing a, a question earlier that we need to be clear that we don't put educational attainment um, or current employment as a barrier to moving into the service. We really need to make um, it clear that there are different opportunities. There are different routes in, and um, you know, some people who perhaps haven't flourished as much at school mm-hmm. can do mm-hmm. well in a career in the service, and you know, you can you can come in as um, for example, a healthcare assistant. Mm-hmm. You can work your way through to being a qualified nurse after a period of time. Isn't that a great opportunity? You can step on and step off that escalator uh, at any point in time, depending on what your circumstances are at home, because you know things do change over a period of time. But there's, there's lots of reason we shouldn't put any barriers to anyone wanting to come into the service and just seeing what sort of career they can make from that. You may start off in one area. We have a lot of examples of people coming in as an admin assistant, suddenly understanding the service and then going on, you know, working in finance, working in, in, in people services. I, you know, I, I think it's a great place to work because there's, there's no barrier to what you can attain and achieve um, the only barrier is is what you want to put in place in terms of what's right think, for you and your family.
0: I think you've got it just right. And, and actually what it underlines is it is a huge organisation with, with such a variety of different career paths. And I know that one of the things that you've looked at coming in as chief executive is literally to make sure that everyone's talking all the same language. Because of course the danger with all of this is that everybody's in their bit of the NHS ecosystem And of course, the whole integrated care model is about bringing that together. But actually, people on a day-to-day basis and to the public all need to be talking the same language, I guess. Otherwise, it doesn't feel to the public or to themselves like they're in the same organization. So tell us a little bit about some of those nuts and bolts things you've been doing to really just make sure people can actually come together in integrated care, you know,
1: in a a more straightforward way. So, so there, there are many things and, and there are often things that um, you as, a, as an individual become very familiar with if you've been in the service for a number of years and you don't actually question it, which is why it's, I think it's been really important to use feedback from surveys, our own staff surveys, feedback from the communities through through governors and elected members in terms of understanding what some of those issues are. So I can't can't imagine how difficult it must be for someone who's thinking about the service uh, to then understand the everyday language that we use. We have so many acronyms for things. We talk amongst ourselves as professionals without really thinking about, does that make sense? And it's only sometimes when I've stood back and I've taken part in a recruiter, um, a more junior member of staff. And I try to do that to keep grounded in terms of, are we providing right services, right opportunities? But when you ask them to do a presentation or you ask them to share with you what they thinking is, they'll often say to you, I don't understand what all of these different abbreviations, acronyms are, et cetera. So that really does make me think, Let's strip back, let's talk, let's talk about services, careers, opportunities in a meaningful way to the client group that we're, we're interacting with. That also applies to you know, the delivery of patient services. You know, navigating your way through a system as complex as the, the NHS and, and yeah. social care, is really hard. You do have to find a way to signpost your way through that And and we use uh, a lot of um, patient advocates to do that. I think we need to do more on our website to enable people who are gonna use technology more to Mm -hmm. find a way through that. That I think would be much more appealing to the younger generation,
0: but
1: perhaps I'm making huge assumptions there. Perhaps that's appealing to a large proportion uh, of our population. But doing that and doing a number of things together, I think makes it easier for people both to access, to understand, and then to make informed choices, whether it's a career, uh, you know, a pathway of, of care or a service delivery model.
0: I think, it's, I, mean, I think it's really well observed, to be honest, as an issue because certainly in my own experience as someone who uses the NHS, yeah, I remember going for a routine checkup, um, mm-hmm few weeks ago and actually the language is often medical so first of all you're looking at words that are medical words rather than normal words that we'd use and just literally trying to find out which floor I needed to go to in the hospital <laughs> I was yes. thinking is that the same thing it looks like a similar word that I think is to do uh, you know to the the, the the ward I was trying to find or whatever and confusing and yet i'm a perfectly educated person you know trying to get to an appointment on time because you don't want to be late and and so actually it is just such a straightforward thing but actually not straightforward when it comes to it for for patients i mean physically trying to get the nhs with a bad sense of direction admittedly i'm terrible at reading maps and all that so highly likely to get lost but but the serious point is Yeah, it was a big hospital with lots of different directions I could go in. And yeah, there was was actually a risk I was going to be a bit flustered by the time I finally made it to where I needed to get to, just because of the signs and the language. (laughs) And so I think all of that does matter on quite a practical level, certainly for people who are users of the NHS. Um, And I can only imagine it is actually the same for people who are working in it. Sometimes you just don't really know who are you talking to or what you're talking about,
1: I guess. And so some of the simple things like, you know, name badges, signage, boards up identifying, um, you know, as you go on to award, who's the person in charge, all give a degree of comfort to somebody who's coming into an organisation who might be anxious, uh, may not want to ask again and again the same question, Um, It just provides that that sense of assurance. And and interestingly, I was just talking this morning about um, the discharge process, and it's a similar Mm -hmm. thing. So as a patient goes through the pathway, they come in from primary care with their GP, have an an acute episode, have to have that dealt with in the hospital, may go down to a a step-down unit, then out to the community. Patients and families generally... Feel that it's it's bothering staff if they have to keep asking for information about what's the next stage in the process who follows this up do i need to do anything therefore we have to constantly improve the communications around our movements through the different parts of the system and our discharge process so that when a patient finally arrives back at home and, and you know as i would say to my family what did they say to you on discharge instead of mum or dad saying well i'm not really sure they'll be able to articulate it clearly or we use the technology to send them a discharge note which covers everything and they can refer to that we're not as good as we could be around that sort of process which is all about generating assurance confidence understanding and getting rid of some of those barriers around acronyms abbreviations mm-hmm. professional speak
0: mm. I'm sure that's that's totally right and I think often as you say for people who are maybe less likely to necessarily feel they can ask or think they shouldn't mm-hmm. ask actually um, because people are so busy working work in the NHS I think being really really clear about all of that makes a massive a massive difference now and um, Lynn I wanted to ask you about your career because sure. you mentioned um recruiting midwives and of course you started you know as a nurse mm-hmm. um, as a midwife and and then really had an inc- you've had an incredible career journey um so tell us a little bit about almost where it began did you always want to go into the NHS and be involved in healthcare? is that almost the first decision you
1: made from a career perspective um I, I think When I look back now, I think there were two pathways I was keen to develop. One was around teaching, the other was around healthcare. And if I look at both now, there's something about that, that, um, the public side of life and the values that that Mm -hmm. resonate. So I chose to go into healthcare. I'm really, really proud, Justine, in terms of starting that, Clinical career because that that's given me such a um, such a huge amount of knowledge and understanding that underpins the decisions that I've made in in, in a future career uh, roles and choices as I've gone through you know, um, many different and demanding jobs I wouldn't change that to start with and again I think I, I experienced as part of that both dealing with things in a, an acute setting as well as dealing with that public health side, mm-hmm. um, which m- retains my interest in that wider determinants of health and the, the involvement of you know, putting things together through the different component parts, I, you know, that, that was very real to me as a health visitor, the impact of education, the impact of housing on health. Um, but having done that, I quickly decided that I, I wanted to start and shape um, some of the local policy. Um, so Was that moved- partly
0: why you could, because you, you'd you done these quite different but ultimately linked roles on yeah. healthcare and, diff- and, and you were starting to think, actually, I can see how perhaps these things add up together if we coordinate better. And, and so you kind of instinctively want to, to get into that more policy style
1: Role where you're shaping it more. Absolutely, and and I felt again, relatively early on, that I could make the connections between uh, policy and practice, Mm -hmm. which are really important when you're doing a delivery role, um, to understand why some of those policy decisions are made and what are the implications at ground level. Mm -hmm. And, And if you can communicate that in a way that people understand, the vast majority of people will work productively with you on that. If, if, you can't, if you can't do that, it's much harder. You can push a policy through, but you don't get the required outcomes and outputs that um, you know, are, are necessary from that. So I did see that fairly early on. And I, you know, I did uh, some, some quite um, junior um, level type of management rails. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked in big organisations, you know, when I was in in Newcastle, that was one of the fourth biggest organisations across the country. I went through different policy approaches uh, there, which again, all added to my um, experience and understanding. And then I I, I took a step into going into an intermediate tier uh, at that time. And I saw things quite differently then. So this was much more about the connections with the um, the department and the national worker and, and how we needed to communicate and promulgate that across a number of organizations. And I think So this those... is when
0: you're- Sorry. So, so I think I'm right in saying you, you end up as Director of NHS Operations, but almost that's the interface with the Department of Health at that stage, and so it's really, as you said, it's it's about policy and communication and and practice, but actually at a very different intersection between the Department of Health and Whitehall, yes, and yes. that or that NHS organisation, which is different again to what you've been doing within it. In as you said, you know, big places like the Newcastle Hospitals
1: Trust, sure. Sure. And, you know, that was, that was fascinating. I could see how policy was developed. I felt that I could um, communicate some of that with my peers, with, um, you know, um, other organisations. So this was across the whole of the NHS, mm-hmm. sharing with them, you know, there's a policy change here. This is why it's being done. This is what the benefits will be. This is how we need to engage with you. And equally, what do you think some of the difficulties will be with implementation? Do we need to um, advise on some of the risks, on you know some of the mitigations we can put in? So it was you know that that, that continual loop of both sharing some of that, but also informing through to the department, which you know, I think the that the department looks for and wants to. You um adapt where it can to to get the best out of these changes, the transformation policies, etc. So that was a fascinating time in my career. I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, and I did many things there, many different roles. And then I decided to come back to working in. Trust Development Authority, which Mm -hmm. was then doing some intensive work. And that was improvement work with those organizations that were particularly challenged and that I was working in the north part of the patch. And again, that expanded my knowledge and and understanding of how difficult it is if you're a challenged organization just to deal with the basics, let alone to start that Mm -hmm. improvement journey. From there, it naturally led to um, working for NHS Improvement and NHS England. And I did a a big regional role. So at that time, I was able to look at the high performing organisations, the challenged organisations, those that were in the the middle of the pack and use my experience to sort of, um, I said, coordinate, facilitate um, pair people up where good practice could be shared mm-hmm. uh, where organizations were struggling understanding a little bit more about is there somebody else in the system that can help with that which probably you know almost brings it back round to the system approach that we need locally yeah.
0: that's what um, i was about to say you know you've almost exactly. done integrated care before you know yes. it was formalized um yes. as it is being now
1: and then work you know what i would say is you know i decided that i i would work as a, a chief exec in a challenged organization you know a very conscious decision i'd always worked in organizations that were high performing and, and that brings a different set of issues that you need to deal with to that when you're dealing in a challenged organization And for the last two years, it's been a great experience. I perhaps haven't been able to focus on that transformational journey as much as I'd want to because as we said right at the beginning, we've been focusing on managing the pandemic, keeping people safe, supporting staff, et cetera. But I'm, I'm still very confident that as we're coming out of that now, we can refocus, work with our partners, as, a, as a, you know, a system within a place-based system to, to get to the right um, position we want to be, which is you know, being a great place to work and attracting high quality, high calibre staff who want to come here and do the best for you know, our, our local populations.
0: And would you say for for the the very varied career you've had, I mean, all these different parts of of the NHS, really, have you kind of thought carefully about that next stage or have you kind of done the next role and then thought, hmm, here's the next bit of the picture that I think would be interesting for me to do? How have you taken your decisions about where you go next? You sort of obviously put some thought into this move here and that makes a huge amount of sense, but... But almost how have you approached it? but people are sort of thinking ahead in their own careers, how have you threaded, you know, that opportunity through
1: for you? So I think there's been a number of things. Some of it has been opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Some of it has been much more considered in terms of where can I add value and where do I get my stimulation from? Um, I would always encourage colleagues to really think about moving around the system. I think secondments are great opportunities and should be seen positively because it does expand your thinking and gives you um, a, a period of time where you can think, is this really where I want to be? Can I add value? Or I thought it was going to be something, but it's not quite right for me in a safe way to then go back to your organization. I think there's a lot to be said for cultivating your networks of people, thinking about uh, opportunities where you can be mentored and and coached by people who may have an influence on future opportunities. Mm -hmm. That may not be a job opportunity, but it may be to talk you through why you're thinking about this at this point in time, Lynn, is that really what you want, but drilling down and making you think, you know, um, some of the more challenging thoughts you might have, rather than, that looks like a great uh, career move, but mm-hmm. is it really the right one for me? Mm-hmm. So it's been a combination of things, but I think you have to plan some elements. Otherwise, everything would be opportunistic, and I don't know that you would always end up in the right place, and always on value. So but it's just- I think there are some times when you Sorry, can not- just... Go ahead, sorry. No, go on, then. sorry. I think there are some times when something just presents, when intuitively it feels right, you don't always have a full evidence base on which to make a decision, then that's a the point in time. You use your networks, you use your um, really strong mentorship arrangements to say, feels right, I'm gonna go for it. Can you? Can you just talk me through this? Why am I doing it? And then you just go for it.
0: Sounds good. So
1: it's about taking
0: those opportunities. um, Mm -hmm. But also, by the sounds of it, also your your sense is you've got to be a bit nimble at times. Things come up and you've got to be flexible to think, well, I wasn't necessarily thinking of that as my next step, but actually that will work. And if you can get a bit of advice and bounce some ideas off people who you respect and know and you've got their own experience, then... Actually, that means you can take some opportunities, even even when they weren't ones you were necessarily looking for yourself.
1: That, that's a great way to frame it. Yes.
0: Well, look, I think my final question then, then, is going to be: so you you've really had. I mean, it, it is literally a career of the NHS, you know, in mm-hmm. its full breadth, and um, not and not finished yet either. <laughs> but if you were giving. Much younger in, as it were, or Lynn at school, some advice on careers and opportunities, you know, looking back at your own experience now. What do you think it would be?
1: Wow. Well, um, I think I would be saying to them, be clear as you you you're finishing um, your either educational attainment or if you're not sure what to do seek advice but have some idea of what career you want to go in if it is in the health or social care sector take some advice about the entry points because there are many and they are varied but it's a fantastic a fantastic place in which to work in whatever sector professional grouping you're going to be in you can move and I love your word nimbly. You can move nimbly through different parts of the organization to find the right place to land where you're going to get great job satisfaction. If you get great job satisfaction, you're personally satisfied. That reflects on your you know your interactions with family friends, etc. And you know you can you can make a difference to them in terms of, some of the difficulties that they might be experiencing or some of the opportunities that you can suggest to them to move forward. So I would say, go for it. It's fantastic. Um, don't just speak to, or listen to me, speak to many of the other millions of people who have a great time in the service and they would encourage you to do so too.
0: Brilliant advice from which to end. Um, Lynn Simpson, Chief Executive North Cumbria, Um, integrated care nhs foundation trust thanks so much for coming on the podcast it's brilliant to have you and the icc involved in the um in the in the leveling up goals work so thank you very very much it's been fantastic having you as a guest
1: thank you bye-bye